Hey everyone, how's it going? My name's Connor Devine. I am your host. You're listening to episode 35 of series 3 of my podcast, Money and Plants. I'm really fortunate. I'm in a position where I get to speak to some really interesting people. And out of those conversations, I hope they empower, inspire, and in today's conversation, educate all of us, which might allow us to make better decisions in our own life. I've welcomed back an old friend of the podcast. He's the chief economist of PropertyPal, the fantastic property website, one of the most popular in the UK, and that is Mr. Jordan Buchanan. Every time I have Jordan on the show, it's always one of the more popular episodes on Money and Plants. The thing is, what I've sort of come to realise in my professional career is that people in general, particularly Irish people, are obsessed with property. We're obsessed with property. That just seems to be the way it is. We're obsessed with buying houses, bricks and mortar. Everybody wants to buy their own home. We can't wait to get onto the property ladder. And actually, I take the view that that's, that's okay, that's good. But it's really, really important then that you always increase your understanding of that market, your own understanding of the housing market. How do you get onto the housing market? What's going on in the housing market? You know, pricing bidding all of this is really 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 important and over the next 30 odd minutes i have a wide-ranging conversation with jordan a property pal basically have an incredible database they have a fascinating and very impressive understanding of the housing market in northern ireland so it's a really really good conversation we talk about lots of things around the covid frenzy you know, one of the things I got wrong in the pandemic is I thought the housing market was going to cool. It didn't. The opposite happened. We talk about banks. We talk about the availability of mortgages. Mortgages. We talk about lots of things. It's a really interesting conversation. I'm going to roll the tape. I hope you get something from it, and I'll wrap up after this conversation. Jordan, good morning. Welcome to welcome back to Money and Plants. You've been on a few times. You're one of our most popular contributors. Um, I think I've told you that before, but how are you keeping? It's now November and yeah. it's 2021. How have things been over the last 18 months? Oh, good. Thanks very much. I know you, you keep asking me on. I, I'm more surprised every time. You, you keep wanting to hear what I'm rambling on about. But um, yeah, no, things things are good. We're, we're just getting on with stuff, trying to figure out what's going on with, with the housing market and where we're going over the next sort of 12 months. So Plenty to chat about, I'm sure, as there always is. I think so. I think whenever we first spoke, it might have been, I can't remember, it was April or May uh, of last year. Uh, time moved yeah. so fast. It was. It was early in initial lockdown, wasn't it? Yeah. I think so. But I think at that time, personally anyway, having come through the financial crash, I mean, I was I was really concerned about lots of things mm-hmm. that actually didn't materialise and, and in some ways the opposite happened. And one, one of the... Uh, areas that I was really concerned about was the housing market. Um, I was concerned about the economic environment. I was concerned about insolvencies. I was concerned about banks going bust, um, non-performing loans and all of that. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, if we look at the housing market, um, the opposite to what I thought, I'm supposed to be an expert. I'm I'm, I'm chartered. I've been working in, in property for 20 years. But actually, I thought the housing market was going to cool down once the pandemic kicked in. But it, it didn't. It actually took off. 
And, and just with the benefit of 18 months of hindsight, how would you sort of summarise what actually happened, which which proves that I was totally wrong? Yeah, well, I, I can assure you, you weren't the only one in that boat. I mean, nearly every economist and business person around the world was saying the same thing. And I mean, with hindsight, we know, you know, the economy contracted by in the biggest recession of really 300 years. The furlough scheme, which was introduced in Northern Ireland at its peak level, had over sort of a quarter of a million workers. It was about a third of our workforce. We had 80,000 people in the self-employed uh, income support scheme. We had rental protection measures introduced. We had mortgage repayment holidays surging. And then sure enough, house prices boomed. You know, it, it was completely contrary to what everyone thought. And certainly it was at that point I realised my economics degree didn't make a lot of sense either. But um, yeah, I mean, a lot's changed and we are where we are now. And with, again, with hindsight, we've started to understand it a bit better. And Connor, I, I get asked this a lot, you know, why is the housing market boomed as a result of some of those measures which I talked about? And the simple truth is there's been too much money chasing too few houses. That's the story. And there's been huge swathes of housing inequality over the last year. Frankly, the rich have got richer. They've more money in their bank account. Lots of change in profile, where they want to live, what type of houses they want. Uh, and because their bank balances went up, they've been able to redirect that spending towards housing. The problem is on the supply side, you know, the disruption to the construction industry, the confidence that it hit some households. There, there just isn't enough properties on the market. And those two factors combined, you know, that is basic economics and, and that is in truth is what's played out. Too much demand, too much money, too few houses. And then on top of that, you had some sort of stimulus measures, you know, very generous interest rates, shall we say, for, for people who had good equity and properties were moving. Uh, and then you had a stamp duty holiday, which was just fuel in the fire of, of what was already a pretty strong market. So actually then, so whenever I was really concerned as the pandemic broke, um, we knew people were working from home. What actually happened is in economic terms, so you're an economist by profession, uh, it's what they call quantitative easing, right? So could you just explain QE, like what is QE? Because basically what happened was, you know, the, the market, the banks flooded the economy with money. Mm -hmm. I'm just interested in you, from your economic sort of brain, QE, what is that and how do you think, is that really what, what, what ultimately led to this housing frenzy, which is what I would describe the last 18 years? Yeah, QE, it's, so it's an economic term known as quantitative easing and it's basically one of the methods which the Bank of England used to try and inject sort of a stimulus measure to, to the wider economic conditions. And if we think back to sort of 2007, eight when we had the initial sort of property bubble and, and financial crash, at that stage, the Bank of England needed to step in and try and inject stimulus measures to boost economic performance, try and stimulate confidence. Now, the two measures they had at their disposal then was interest rates were about sort of five, six percent. So they could keep lowering interest rates, lowering borrowing costs, which would ultimately encourage businesses and households to borrow to try and inject some spending in the economy and reduce their savings. They also then created this process of quantitative easing, which it's very complicated. We would need hours of sort of lecture time to go into it and explain it. But basically, it's known as sort of the printing of money because of the, the Bank of England is its own independent central bank. They have the autonomy to control the supply of money across the wider UK market. In, in, in actual terms, you don't really print money anymore. It's all done through sort of digital ledgers. But basically, it's the process of injecting more money into the economy, which then is obviously it, it, it can be bought through bonds and private markets to, to inject finance and create money to invest uh, in sort of government spending and private finance initiatives, which again, it has the effect of boosting economic activity. So headline sort of, if we if we sort of look at the numbers then, roughly speaking throughout COVID, if we're looking at sort of November today in the last 15, 16 months, 
I mean, my, my view is, I haven't looked at this, but my view is that house prices definitely have, have increased. Maybe, I don't know, in around 10% plus, right? Yeah. Maybe. Um, and whenever we talk about the housing market, there's there's different markets within the housing market. So there's like first-time buyers, I sort of say, is less than 200 odd. And then there's sort of middle market. This is my own sure. sort of uh, sense of, of the housing market, maybe between 200 and, and 500. And I think we talked about this in some of our conversations, but, you know, so, so generally, house prices, I would imagine, definitely increased and then there seems to be a lot of activity in that middle market two mm -hmm. to five hundred um because i actually have been trying to sell my house and i've been looking to buy another house in that middle market um and then there's this, this supply issue so three things then so the, the the sort of house prices how they went up and by how much and then the sort of the sort of markets and then the supply issue okay so the first one on, on house price have they went up yes they have i mean the, the thing which I've said as well is, you know, this isn't a unique feature to the UK economy. This is right across the world, you know, from Western Europe, the Asian markets, Australasia, pretty much. I think it was the OECD, which has a measure of about 38 sort of advanced economies across the world. The average house price across that 38 weighted index increased by just under 7% uh, in the final quarter of last year. So it is a global feature. In, in Northern Ireland and the UK as a whole, Northern Ireland prices are up about 9% um, from Q1 2020 to Q2 2021. So over that sort of rough 18 month period, they're up just under 10% on aggregate. But again, whenever you go into the, the detail, detached houses are up about 12%, semi-detached about sort of eight and a half, nine percent And then apartments and terrace are down sort of five, 6% range. So there has been a greater shift or, 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 or how do I put it? I mean, there's been a proportional change in the, in the waiting that there's been a more expensive mix of properties sold and uh, one of the best ways to characterize this i think is when we break down all the official sales information in the final quarter of 2019 about 18 percent of houses in northern ireland were sold for over 200k in the last year it went up to about 25 percent so that might sound relatively small numbers but actually in that space of time that's a really significant shift and it's going back to what i mentioned earlier it's about you know, where did suddenly people get all that additional money to go out and spend on the more expensive houses? You go through the, the lockdown measures, we all experienced, you, know, you couldn't go out to restaurants and hotels, you didn't have, maybe have to pay for childcare, your commuting costs went down. And really it was that impact of constrained savings or forced savings. People didn't know what else to do with their money. And the official Bank of England savings ratio hit 27% uh, in the third quarter last year and then fell to about 20%. And it's still sitting at that sort of level. You know, the, if, if I went back looking at the data to sort of 1920, the long-term average is people save around 6% of their income. So there's still lots of additional money being saved. Uh, and what are people doing with it? At the minute, it seems to be suggesting they're they're looking to put it into their housing, whether that's in the renovation side of things or actually moving to a bigger house. So in terms of the lower end of the market, what you mentioned there, the lending data again shows us um, there's been a greater shift in in the home movers segment, if you will, kind of that second stepper, which, which you talked about there, versus much uh, much lower amount for first-time buyers as a whole. That is starting to peter out. We're starting to see the market conditions come back to what I, I would describe as more normal levels. I mean, there's only so many people who are second steppers who actually want to move home who haven't already done it. We're starting to see now a growth in the first-time buyer market. A lot of that, again, was linked to sort of the, the change in the lending conditions last year. There is more favourable deals starting to come in there at the minute for first-time buyers to encourage them into the market. But on the supply side, kind of your third point there, I don't have the answer to this at the minute. There's, there's just not enough houses there. I mean, total stock on property piles now down around 50% compared to 2019 levels. And the actual new build construction level fell about 15 to 20% last year just by disruptions to supply chains. 
uh, labour shortages, wage pressures, things like that. That's a big uncertainty at the minute, uh, and, and I don't have the answer for that going forward. Where is the supply going to come from? Yeah, there's just there's so much going on in, in the housing market now. But one, one of the like I, I still think it's still, you know, obviously we have a funding business and a debt business. We're involved in the property market, um, and we're, we're speaking to hundreds of people every year about this. But I still think it's hard enough, the feedback I'm getting, it's still hard enough to get a mortgage. Um, I think what might have been going on within the housing market is that because you said there that twenty five percent of the houses sold in the last fifteen odd months were over two hundred odd grants. That's sort of mid market activity. I I think maybe people who maybe for whatever reason decided in lockdown, oh, we might move house. You know, maybe we will get a change. Uh, so 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 there's new entrants then to the housing market, and I don't know, and we could never probably prove this, but maybe if there hadn't have been a pandemic, people might have been happy enough to live, where you know where they were. Um, so I think that alongside. The government initiatives uh, around the furlough scheme, which sort of guaranteed everybody's paycheck, mm-hmm. um, disposable income went up, people weren't going on holidays. I do think that that fed into the decision making of that mid-market activity where people were looking to move out maybe to the countryside or a bigger house with a bigger garden, you know, to take advantage of that downtime whenever there's maybe the time to actually move because it can take six months to actually move house, move house. You know, it's a whole process that's involved. So I think I think that It'll be interesting to see, don't know how, it's one of those sort of markets where it's very difficult to find out for sure why people do things, Yeah. but we just know that they do them um, by the transacting activity. Um, one of the other things I wanted to hone in on, and I heard you saying this, I've been listening to Property Pals podcast, and anybody listening to this podcast should check that out. But one of the other things uh, you mentioned, the banks have continued to lend money. Mortgages have been readily available. And however... They've kind of kept the benchmark to get a mortgage quite high, mm-hmm. whereas in the last crash in two thousand seven, more or less anybody could get a mortgage. So you had, you know, people who shouldn't really have had any more than one mortgage had yeah. four or five and six mortgages. The three, four, five, six, seven, ten houses. That doesn't seem to be the case now. It's still difficult enough. What's your observation of that? Like banks seem to have held the line there. So you could argue strongly then that 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 sort of bad debt, negative equity problem could be mitigated potentially um, from people who, who who can't actually afford to pay their mortgage. Is that something? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, back in back in 2007, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there. You know, it was much looser lending criteria. I mean, self-certification mortgages, things like that. And it ultimately meant people were, were over-indebted and subject to potential falls in property prices. And that's, that's obviously what happened and pushed lots of people into negative equity. A big growth in the mortgage lending back then, again, was sort of the buy-to-let boom. We had lots of people buying sort of lower to mid-range properties, putting a wee bit of investment in them and then selling them for you know, flipping them or, or else um, taking really strong rental yields. But then as soon as the property values fell, then as I said, they were, they were in negative equity. One of, the, one of the big changes which came as a result of the financial crash was measures to protect both the financial system as a whole to prevent the impact it has on wider economies, but also ultimately to protect consumers and allow them to get into that position. Uh, and as you said, it, it is difficult getting a mortgage. I mean, lots of people think, you know, I've got the money in the bank account now, it's time I can go out and buy my house. There is a rigorous process there. Each bank has their own strict criteria you need to go through your, to, to make sure you're, you're, you're worthy of the credit sort of thing and you don't have any bad debt or things like that. So it, it's by no means easy and you need to seek financial advice for those doing it. Um, but it's possible at the minute. I and mean, We're starting to see lenders... Um, they're a bit more open to lending, particularly to first-time buyers who who maybe have a lower deposit. I mean, that was one of the big changes last year. Whenever we went into a position of uncertainty for the housing market outlook, what you saw was 
it pretty much became impossible to buy as a first-time buyer if you didn't have at least a 15% deposit. Now, bear in mind what the average house price in Northern Ireland is sort of 130 grand. You're talking about needing 20 grand there, thereabouts, to buy a property in Northern Ireland um, last year. Now, that was very different to the start of the year, sort of pre-pandemic. Many people who, who had maybe sort of 5, 10 grand were thinking, right, this is the year I'm going to buy. And that changed on from them sort of thing. But as the housing markets continue to improve, we've seen all these deals starting to come back. Very competitive rates as well because of the low interest rate environment. Um, actually, last week as well, it was one of the, the big high street lenders in Northern Ireland has started offering uh, mortgages for those who have a 5% deposit for new build properties. That's kind of one of the first that's come back in, in the last sort of two years or so. So we are seeing that improvement in, in the mortgage market conditions because ultimately the housing market has just continued to defy expectations. I think there's 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 two uh, areas when uh, I think, you know, people who are buying property for an investment purpose, like buy to let, and then there's people who buy a house or a property to live in. They're two very different demographics. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, people are, ask me about house prices and you think it's too dear or whatever but I think it's a very different scenario you know if you're buying a house to live in for the next 10 or 20 or 30 years then you can afford to pay that or maybe above the odds so you're sort of taking a long-term investment making the decision whereas people who are in the buy to let game are you know often trying to trade trying to flip very very risky uh, operation I is it fair to say that the in terms of house sales then mm -hmm. do we know do you guys in property probably know? Uh, can you tell? You know who's buying these houses. Is it is it, is all of the transactions in the last fifteen months? Like it's seventy percent of them people who are buying. You know homeowners, or are there property professionals in there? Obviously there are, but do is it possible to get a, a handle on that, or is it just too tricky to work out? Uh, it is in other jurisdictions because there's more open access to data and, and individual transaction level information. Northern Ireland again is a bit of a black hole for this information, so we have to work in aggregates and try and understand that what it means but one of the main sources for that is if you look at the lending data officially and as i said there was a bigger shift in sort of your home mover market first time buyer was up but a bit lower than it otherwise would buy to let tends to sit around sort of 15 percent of, of mortgages and it's been pretty steady at that whereas it was much higher back and um, sort of 10 years ago so the, the, the main metric we would try to get a, a feel for sort of activity in the market is you know very simple but it's crude but very simple measure the, the size of the property has been sold in terms of the number of bedrooms. And again, whenever you look, total sales, so total sales are up um, you know, considerably since the pandemic levels. But whenever you break down, two-bedroom and three-bedroom houses are up sort of around 30%. Four-bedrooms up about 45%. And five-plus bedroom is up near 50 to 60%. So in proportional terms, that doesn't mean obviously there's more five-bed houses being sold than three-bed. But in proportional terms, that's where the greater shift has been. So you are seeing this big movement in activity. To, to the bigger and ultimately more expensive houses. Which would then clearly suggest that uh, that's people who are buying these houses or buying them to live in them. They're not investment properties. Absolutely, yeah, that's how I would do I mean, it's, it's going to sound really obvious, but mm -hmm. a house is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And most people who transact in the market are buying a house to live in. Yeah. You know, they obviously don't, they don't want to take risks and, and the concern that, that what could happen to house prices, how that would impact them. But for the most part, I mean, we know, again, from the data, first-time buyers tend to buy on average when they're 31 years old. Second-steppers, your home movers, tend to move when they're about 39 years old. So most first-time buyers are in the house for the guts of a decade before they're maybe in a position to move as a result of potentially career progression and, and income and earnings progression. 
I just want to ask you about um, so supply and demand out of the economics at A level. So, a sort of basic understanding of supply and demand, and that would determine market price. And I want to focus in then on supply of housing stock. Um, again, um, so whenever I sort of trained and, and got chartered, and then I was working in the market around about 2005 and six. I think at that time, Northern Ireland needed about 15,000 new houses built every year. Mm -hmm. right? So that's to keep up with demand. Um, I would go as far to suggest that they probably still do need 15 odd thousand maybe. But I've noticed in the last five years that they keep reducing that figure, maybe because there's not enough being built and it takes the bad look of things. Mm -hmm. I think maybe now it's down to about eight and a half thousand new houses they're talking about that we need to keep up with demand is that in around that figure uh again it's it's kind of one of those things it's a it's an area of great debate uh, in northern ireland because there's publications you know department of infrastructure have their mm -hmm. housing growth indicators would suggest you know it's around sort of five and a half to six thousand right okay other reports suggest ten thousand seven and a half eight mm -hmm. so obviously in the middle of that so in truth you know there's no right answer to this question it's it's kind of intense modeling to try and figure out the the demographic outlook and the density levels i mean Without sounding too obvious, the biggest change in how many houses we need is going to be impacted by one, your population size. So if you have more people coming in, it depends on your birth rate, depends on your migration policy. If you have more people, you need more houses. But ultimately as well, how you know, how densely populated they are. So on average that has fallen considerably over time. You know, back 20, 30, 40 years ago, you'd maybe this this might sound silly, but you'd an average of sort of two point six people per household, which has now fallen to around sort of two point one percent and is again forecasted to continue to fall so the fewer people you have living in a house obviously the more houses you need now that changes the type of houses you need clearly as well whether it's you if you have a, an aging population which we do and a lot of western europe does you know the housing needs of, a, of an aging population is going to be very different to the sort of the typical building model now of sort of three bed semis four bed detached houses and i mean even looking at the demographic forecast alone in northern ireland there's had to be about another sort of eighty thousand people over the next decade of which in net terms there's about to be 110,000 more people over the age of 60 whereas a sort of a falling population in that middle demographic there so you know the housing needs in a decade's time are going to be so so different to what they are today so it's going to open big questions to the the supply challenge and on on the other point we make on the social side of things i mean we aren't building enough social houses at the minute they've averaged around sort of a thousand sort of 1200 over the last lot of years there's been a big growth in, in the last year of new starts up closer to around the 2000 mark, which is certainly uh, well needed. Um, but that creates a lot of pressures elsewhere in the housing market. I mean, our social rented sector now is pretty much the same size as our private rented sector. You're talking about 130,000 odd households in it there. And But the problem again is, you know, we have a social housing waiting list of 40,000 odd people now. So there's a huge swathe of people there who are, who, are, who are currently in the private rented sector who would otherwise wish to be in social rented if the option was there for them. But again like everything this the supply isn't there and that is that's part of a much wider problem of how do we boost housing supply where it is most needed in northern ireland i think it, it doesn't make anyone feel any better but i have been uh looking and listening to a podcast for about 10 years and in the last sort of 12 or 13 months i've sort of tried to broaden my sort of geographic reach and the answer the really interesting thing at the minute is that there seems to be a housing crisis everywhere so in America, uh, in Canada, in Australia, uh, Germany, all over the place, um, there's the supply issue. There's all of these other mm -hmm. issues that we have in Northern Ireland. They're not uh, just in Northern Ireland. They're, they're actually everywhere. Um, governments seem to build loads of social houses in the 70s. Governments haven't really built houses in the last 30 or 40 years. Um, 
we know in the Republic of Ireland there's a major housing crisis. It's very political down there. They're not building enough houses. Um, it's, a, it's a real problem. Up here, the, you know, one thing we do know is we're not building enough houses. There's, there's, there's a supply issue. If we look at a town where I'm originally from, Cookstown, for example, which is a, a good town, it's it's a good town to focus in on. You've, you could equally talk about Dungannon, Banbridge, Portadown. But most of the land, if we look at Cookstown, for example, is all built on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's fields everywhere outside it. So I just think from a, you know, there shouldn't be really a supply issue. It is very difficult. Like one of the things I do for a living is I acquire and buy sites for clients. Mm-hmm. I've done it for years. But it's very, very difficult to acquire land to build houses on. Most of the lands built are land banked by three or four of the big builders. Mm-hmm. So there is a supply issue around the zoning. Um, and, and, and from a, a looking at the big picture stuff, I think it's very straightforward. If there was a, a political will or an appetite to, to solve the supply issue, we need to make more land available around these towns. And towns like Cookstown, Dungannon, it, w- it wouldn't be, because they're growing anyway, it wouldn't be difficult to mm-hmm. move the line from here to here. And over the next 10 years, I know they're trying to do that with the area plan, but I mean, I'm not seeing any increase in housing provision due to the rezoning of land. Um, what's your sort of thoughts on, on that as a potential? Because say if you go to Cookstown now, for example, there's no real houses available on the market. And uh, we haven't talked about the rental market. I know there's huge pressures in the rental market at the moment. Yeah. Trying to get a rental property is nearly impossible. Absolutely. Like that, that would go some way, making more land available. It would potentially reduce the, the, the cost of the land, which would then be easy for developers to actually acquire the land to build the houses. Is that something that, that yeah, you think should be? It's one of the things. I mean, you know, housing, housing and the supply challenges can't be looked in isolation. It's a whole system, and and you know, the current BFC housing supply strategy is looking at housing as a whole system. Now, the land is one area. So whether that does have to look at rezoning, whether it's looking to free up sort of public sector land to the private sector, then you've got the next stage of it. You know, is it, is is actually finding the development finance, particularly for a small. Uh, building firms which again makes up a big chunk of the northern ireland market then you've got your planning challenges to get it through then you've got the the, the requirements for mixed tenure affordable housing social housing private housing uh, and all these sort of features at play that are coming in so there's no silver bullet answer to this connor but it, it, you know your, your kind of key point there you raised was do we need more land freed up for housing yes is is the truthful answer and could it be done yes if there is the political will to, to find it, but also from the financial systems perspective that they have to play their part, should that become available? And I know, I think you're 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 absolutely right. It is one piece of the jigsaw. I know we have an infrastructure problem with sewage and stuff. We need yeah. two billion quid tomorrow morning to increase capacity and fix the existing infrastructure. So that is a there there's there's big picture stuff, but it is fairly depressing because I don't I don't really hear um many of our politicians talk about housing too much here. It's not something that you hear now and again but it's not it's not really top of the the agenda and i think it it is you know everybody wants a home needs a home deserves a home i think it's something that uh it definitely deserves more attention just to finish up then tell me a little bit about property pal so we're recording this morning down in your offices and i mean it's just amazing mm-hmm. i'm on property pal i'm trying to sell my own house at the moment i've watched the brand grow over the last number of years where are you guys at now with property pal? Like what how are you getting on? What's the what's the goals of the next twelve months? I know yourself and the owner are very ambitious and stuff, so you tell us a little bit about maybe your 
your plans for the future. Uh, yeah, well, thank you very much. It's very kind of you to say it on the outset. I mean, okay, we're doing what every business is doing. We've, we've figured it out over the last year. We, we, we've, stuck, we've got stuck in, tried to pivot, look at what we're doing, how we can adapt to everything that's changing, new workforce demands, so all the same thing that, that every other business owner is facing. I mean, we have big plans again, expansion plans, um, where we're looking to go with uh, sort of the wider market conditions. We're investing in our staff. I think we've hired about five or six new staff over the last year largely on our sort of technical side and, and growing our marketing team. Uh, with some innovative product launches lined up for later in the year, next year largely around trying to be more scientific and understand the data um, of, how, of how that can feed into actually understanding the market conditions. Uh, and one of the big things we've come next year is a whole redesign of the website. Um, I know Errol, the managing director, has been very heavily involved in that with, with plans of how we want to change the website. I mean, ultimately the mantra of the company is to make it easier for people to move from A to B. And, you know, a lot of people are very complimentary about the site, but we obviously look at it and look for the down side of it. And there's a lot we want to change. And we've got some some tools and ideas being built at the minute, which we think will will really transform the, the look and feel of the site next year, which will hopefully be be to the betterment of, of, of our users using it. And just finally, then, have you noticed then in terms of the analytics and we really track all this stuff, but has more and more people been on the site throughout the pandemic as 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 it has it? more popular is people going on more often is that is that what's happened yeah absolutely i mean it was initially sort of last year whenever after the sort of the, the early lockdown whenever we started to see the demand come back for housing we had around two hundred thousand people a day on the site i mean two hundred thousand. whenever the, the adult population is 1.2 million you know, that's a huge figure mm-hmm. it's now it's since fallen back a wee bit but it's still set it's still up around 50 percent compared to a normal level so there's still you know one hundred fifty thousand people a day coming on the site at that so there is there's real user demand there. And to be honest, that's one of the measures we track to get a feel for what housing market conditions are like. We're building algorithms to try and track, you know, how many people are coming inside, how many inquiries they're sending, what type of houses they're looking at, what's happened to the price of those houses. And all of that feeds into our sort of a collective understanding of the market conditions. So we arguably try and get as much of a real-time view of, of market conditions because part of the problem is, as any sort of economist will tell you, data lags real-time of what actually happens and you find out, oh, Here's what happened to the economy three months ago, even though we've just been through it. You know, we kind of have a forward-looking indicator for all this based on our uh, user engagement. And finally, finally, then my sense is that uh, the housing market is starting to cool somewhat in the last four or five, six weeks. Um, that's just my own sort of sense and, and talking to a few state agents and that. It was absolutely mental there um, because I was, I was selling, I was trying to buy as well, I was viewing. It was it was just just a frenzy mm-hmm. uh, the market over the last nine months, but I do sense in the last four or five weeks things have cooled. Is that is that something you would tie in with? Are you not sure? Are you seeing that? Or are you hearing that? No, it is. It is absolutely starting to cool. I mean, we've we've went through sort of the peak phase several months ago. Last autumn it really peaked, settled a wee bit over Christmas, peaked again in spring. It's since fallen back a wee bit, and it, it's to be honest, that's a good thing. It's a much healthier position at the minute. It's still higher levels of demand than sort of the sort of three to five year pre-pandemic average would suggest. So it is still at high levels, but it is it's significantly fallen back from what it was. In total for the, the year 2021, we're forecasting around there'll be about 32,000 houses sold this year, which will be the most since 2007. So it really is, uh, you know, it's been a boom in activity. There's no getting around that. We're then forecasting we think it'll fall back in, in 2022 to around sort of 25,000. So you're talking about a 20% or so reduction in house sales we're also seeing that corresponding to overall house prices now our first month there of of october showed us house prices fell back from from our index which was showing growth the month before of around sort of seven and a half percent 
falling back to around five and a half percent year on year now so it is all starting to cool down a wee bit and the latest sort of composite forecast index across all sort of big uk forecasters if you will suggest overall house price growth set to fall back to around two percent by uh, the end of 2022 so it is all starting to cool down and settle a wee bit Hey everyone, welcome back. That was, uh, I thought anyway, a very interesting conversation they had with uh, Jordan Buchanan down at Property Pal earlier this week, the chief economist there. If you haven't checked out Property Pal, www.propertypal.com, go and have a look at it. It's a fantastic site. Good news being they're revamping everything and they're investing in their intellectual property and their IT offering in 2022. So that's another really good positive move for the property market because it already is an excellent resource and database for anyone interested in the housing market. A bit of a summary, I suppose the market has exceeded everyone's expectations in the last 18 months. There's absolutely no doubt that the quantitative easing method that was employed, or policy that was employed by our banks, has certainly made more money available. People have been at home, they have been saving money, they haven't been able to spend money on holidays, so that five or 10 grand of discretional spend that people have maybe every year it looks to me like it's within two extensions of people's homes and it has encouraged people to move house however there are significant challenges within the housing market in northern ireland and i do know um, because of some experience in this that our water and treatment infrastructure in northern ireland is at breaking point we do actually need about two billion pounds worth of investment today to just simply fix and repair the existing infrastructure that's not improve it so that is a real real problem i was with an architect this week and he tells me that if you're living in bangor or north down or newton arts that there's a real issue there and that planning applications can take up to three or four years it's simply not acceptable that is a real issue more issues around planning that's too slow um, that the planning process in Northern Ireland has uh, has that traditional issue. It's very cumbersome, it's very chunky, it's very, very slow. This whole issue of construction finance, actually providing funding for builders to build houses, again, it's not talked about uh, that much in the market, but it is still quite difficult for builders to access funding and finance. Our banks have failed miserably. They continue to fail miserably in terms of providing development finance for builders. Yes, they will do Uh, cherry pick the odd builder to take the bad look at things but it's still difficult to get construction finance actually it's important to say that there are other options and have been for the last number of years around development finance there are a number of other alternative finance providers who are actually funding projects in northern ireland which which is really interesting one of the things that we didn't speak about in this conversation was the whole idea of developing greenhouses and building houses that are more carbon friendly and I put this under the bracket of climate finance, green finance, green money and we do know that our government is asking us and they're talking about retrofitting the existing housing stock which will obviously be very very uh, environmentally friendly. The question I have for all these um, really intelligent people is where is the money going to come from? I have been calling for personally Uh, for the last couple of years a 500 million pound green energy fund for northern ireland i have spoken i raised it last week whenever i met with the bank of england as part of a lunch that i was at i have been an agent for the bank now for about 15 years that really gives me an opportunity to feed in 
um, to the bank what's my experiences of what's going on in the business environment in Northern Ireland and I raised this point that you know it is actually quite straightforward for Rishi Sunak the Chancellor to create a green energy fund for each of the regions what I'm saying is let's have a 500 million pound green energy fund and I think within that pot of money that would allow house builders then to access that to produce more carbon friendly homes uh, that money could also be used to build other green energy projects like anaerobic digesters wind turbines and battery projects um, but that's maybe another podcast altogether but in short my overview then of 2022 um, how do I see the housing market moving forward in, in Northern Ireland well I think it, a lot of this depends on what happens to interest rates and over the last sort of 20 odd years we've been in an environment where interest rates have went from 15% to pretty much not um, but there is something happening at the minute in the economy and it's called inflation and inflation is really where prices rise and the purchasing power of people you and me becomes uh, less so £100 uh, today is worth more than £100 in your pocket next year because if inflation rises at 10% then it's only worth 90 quid next year that's the basis of inflation just whilst we're talking about this I do a show on LinkedIn on Thursday with Nick Leeson it's 10 minutes it's called The Money Clinic if you're interested in any of what I'm saying right now, if you go onto my LinkedIn page and check out the Money Clinic for last Thursday, me and Nick talk about inflation and some of the concerns that we would have around inflation. Why is this important? How does it impact the housing market? Well, here's how, in my view. If inflation continues to rise and get out of control, the Bank of England will have to increase interest rates and most people who are financially literate believe that the base rate the interest rate is going to rise anyway in the next three six nine months the the monetary policy committee voted seven two against raising interest rates last month however uh, if you look at what's going on in the states uh, inflation certainly seems to be out of control and the only way governments can, can can try and control inflation is by raising the interest rate and my view would be that if interest rates start to increase then that definitely will uh, cool the housing market because the cost of mortgages will increase and that just makes it a little bit more uh, less uh, I suppose for for people wanting to buy houses um, it makes it more difficult so my view for 2022 would be that interest rates are going to go up inflation is going to be uh, still quite high and that would suggest then that our housing market will cool somewhat over the next 12 months. I'll probably get it wrong again. I got it wrong last year. But anyway, I thought that w- I hope that was insightful. I hope you get some value from it. You can reach me at Connor at ConnorDevine.com if there's anything that you want to raise with me, if there's any guests you would like me to speak to, or any questions you have around any of this, um, please do get in touch. Finally, if you could leave me a review, two lines, wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this, feel free to share it with one or two of your friends. Until next time, I hope you enjoyed this. Look after yourselves and each other. Get out!